And welcome to Monday. Here we are, the last day of January in 2022. It's Mike on the Pure Opelka podcast. Thanks for being here. Those of you who hung out with me on Saturday night's radio show in Philadelphia, thanks for checking out the podcast. We try and get to a lot of different stuff on this show. Some of it breaking news, some of it just bubbling under the surface news, but all of it stuff I consider vital to you and to me. And there are a host of topics we have to get to today, including Joe Rogan and his response to what Spotify has decided to do in, uh, in the uh, battle to save their streaming service. I don't think it's really at risk. When you lose Joni Mitchell and Neil Young, it's not like you're losing Joe Rogan, a guy you gave a $100 million contract to. But we'll talk about that. We'll also talk about the idiotic transportation secretary, Mayor Pete, who thinks roads are racist and that this first year of Joe Biden's presidency was a good thing. He really said that, actually said that. You'll hear it from his lips. Uh, CNN figured out that inflation's bad and not going to get better anytime soon. Right. It, it is bad and it's not getting better anytime soon. I'm watching uh, the uh, Democrats and their news friends on the left side of the mainstream media who are putting out all kinds of incendiary stories trying to make Joe Biden's pick for the Supreme Court the start of a civil war. Biden's going to pick a black female to be on the court. He has to. He promised Jim Clyburn of South Carolina he would do that in order to get Clyburn to give him the South Carolina primary on a platter. That's exactly what happened. That's how this works. But Joe Biden is a guy of um, contradictions. Is that the best way to put it? Yeah, contradictions. Joe Biden, 20 years ago, didn't want a black female on the federal bench. He filibustered it. We heard it from Tammy Bruce on Fox over the weekend. Tammy Bruce explaining what I'm talking about. He filibustered and opposed Janice Rogers Brown in both 2003 and 2005, and would have been the first black woman judge on the federal bench, uh, nominated by George W. Bush. Joe Biden filibustered and was opposed to that woman. That woman would likely have been on the Supreme Court by now, but because she wasn't a leftist, is why they opposed her. So they sh- they they made it 20 years longer, a generation longer for a, a black woman to be on that Supreme Court. Yeah, absolutely. That's the reality. That's the facts. Joe Biden is only doing this because it's politically helping him. And I wish all of our black brothers and sisters who look at Joe Biden and say, well, he's going to put a black woman on the Supreme Court. He could have put a black woman on the federal bench two decades ago, and it's likely she would have been nominated to the Supreme Court by now. But he blocked it. He stopped it. Joe Biden, not all there. And he is a tool right now. I look at him as a puppet. It's really kind of sad. And speaking of puppets, how about Kamala? How about Kamala Harrison not doing her job on the border? Yeah, she's not doing anything. She's just trying to get through, I guess. Uh, Kamala Harris, over over the last uh, weekend and last week, she was supposed to attend the swearing-in of a new president in the Northern Triangle in a 
in a country that was just getting its first female president. She flew down there and uh, was late for the inauguration. Missed it. Good job. I wish we could make them pay for all the money they wasted sending all those folks down there, all that security, etc. But um, while she was there, Kamala was asked about the Northern Triangle, the area that we believed most of the people crossing our border illegally originate in the Northern Triangle. We're now learning today that's not true. In fact, the latest numbers out of December, which set a record again on the southern border for people coming here illegally. Uh, there, there are more folks from Russia and India and the Middle East than there are from Mexico and the, the entire Northern Triangle. So, gee, it's not people immigrating here just from the countries next door. It's people who are finding their way to the Mexican border with America and walking in, finding their way from other countries halfway around the world. I wonder why. And we don't know who they are or where the hell they're coming from or what their intentions are. And the woman in charge of it, well, she's all interested in making sure we don't call it the Northern Triangle because that wouldn't be politically correct, would it? Each country has its own identity, its own culture, its own history, and that should be respected, which is why you will see that I, I rarely, if ever, refer to it as the Northern Triangle. I rarely, rarely, if ever, refer to it as the Northern Triangle. Well, then we have the lovely montage that shows the vice president, in fact, over just the last year, regular referred to that area as the Northern Triangle. One of my areas of focus, which is the Northern Triangle. What's going on in the Northern Triangle? To focus on the Northern Triangle. Not focus on the Northern Triangle. People of the Northern Triangle. In the Northern Triangle. Within the Northern Triangle. To combat violence in the Northern Triangle. In the Northern Triangle. In the Northern Triangle. Yeah, rarely, if ever, does she ever use the phrase the Northern Triangle. Rarely, because, you know, that would be insulting to the individual countries in the Northern Triangle and their traditions. For God's sakes, we can't insult them. While we're down at the border, it's kind of interesting to see what's happening. You have many of the men and women who are working along our southern border who are just absolutely giving it everything they got but being told they can't enforce the laws. And they wonder what the hell they're doing. They wonder what they're working on. And over the past week, you've seen the videos of the law enforcement members, the men and women of the Border Patrol, and uh, they are turning their backs on the Homeland Security Secretary Mayorkas. They are shouting and arguing with their own supervisors who are right there telling him, no, you're wrong. You're doing the wrong thing. And the, the only thing that will prevent, uh, well, the only thing that will allow evil from happening is for good men to do nothing. Yeah, that's the old quote. And it was said to the face of the administrator. And then there's Mayorkas himself, who was down there at the border, and people are calling it brave. I don't think it's brave. He realizes he's going to have a mutiny on his hands if he doesn't go down there. And he has taken his lumps because the people are telling him the truth about what's happening with the men, single men, coming across the border, being put on planes under the cover of darkness, 
and shipped all over this country without any idea, are they COVID positive? You can't go eat in a restaurant in Washington, D.C. without proof of vaccination, but you can get on a government-paid-for plane and be flown somewhere where you'll be given uh, compensation, uh, plastic cards like ATM cards with benefits. And once you're inside, there are some communities where these folks can vote. It, it really is madness what's going on here. And Secretary Mayorkas even admitted, I think this was yesterday, even admitted that the situation is not just bad. It's worse than it's ever been in the last 20 years and possibly ever. His words, not mine. We should have enough personnel to take care of the southern And I mean, that's, that's the solution. And that hasn't been the case. Look, it's worse now than it frankly has been in at least 20 years, if not ever. It's worse now than it has been in the past 20 years, if not ever. When is the media going to wake up? I don't know if they ever will. They're in the tank for uh, Joe Biden. Well, maybe they're not. Maybe there was a little bit of a shift last week. I don't know if you were paying attention, but it certainly seemed like it. Maybe there's a little bit of a shift in how the media feels about Joe Biden. Not, I'm not talking about Fox or One America or Newsmax. I'm, I'm talking about the mainstream media, the ones who get their talking points from the Democrats every morning. Putin and she and our NATO allies are not debating that right now. Mm-hmm. They see Joe Biden as weak. Yesterday's press conference did not help. So uh, I didn't think it was a very impressive list, and I'd probably go back to the drawing board. I'm not sure that his staff is exactly excited about all the news he made uh no there's a lot to clean up yeah a lot still to clean up joe was kind of quiet over the weekend and uh we'll see what happens after the united states and russia face off the security council in the united nations today we are hearing if you paid attention to the sunday morning talk shows we are hearing that the senate the republicans and the democrats in the center actually working together to put crushing And I mean crushing sanctions on Russia if they do anything inside Ukraine. That would be a good thing. I don't want to send any of our soldiers there. We have to talk about Mayor Pete. Mayor Pete is in the crosshairs today because he's got a whole lot of bad ideas. A guy who ran a city poorly, ran a city of 110,000 people, South Bend, Indiana, where he was mayor before he became the transportation secretary is uh, is out there saying that he wants to put money behind a national network, coast-to-coast speed cameras. I know you know what speed cameras are, but this guy wants a gigantic network. He wants every town in America to have speed cameras. And it's really all about raising money and taxing us for going over the limit a little bit. Everybody speeds, don't they? I know somebody goes, no, no, my pal Uncle Tony doesn't. Yes, he does. But this this is a bridge too far. This is a, a surveillance state move by a guy who really is into the surveillance state, a guy who really thinks that Joe Biden uh, is is the king, that Joe Biden is the guy who's doing the best job ever. He called... Uh, he called Joe Biden's first year the, uh, an extraordinary year. I, I think that was his word. Let's, he was on um, with uh, Al Sharpton, 
saying this? Well, I think the overall focus of this administration is to deliver for Americans. And, you know, the first year was extraordinary. Extraordinary how? Extraordinarily bad? Can we talk about the the increased spending, which has triggered inflation? Can we talk about the problems in the supply chain that you're supposed to have solved, Mr. Transportation Guy, and you're not solving it? Can we talk about the disaster in Afghanistan, the deadly disaster in Afghanistan that costs lives of American service personnel? Can we talk about all of that? I would love to, because Mayor Pete, you are not a good example of anything other than a cacistocracy, government by the worst possible people. And if you want to think Biden's done such a good job, just listen to CNN today. CNN, actually on CNN. I watch so you don't have to. Uh, admitting that inflation is bad and getting worse. Americans everywhere are seeing these price hikes at the market and even some shortages. And it's only getting worse as the food supply chain faces skyrocketing costs to get products all the way from farms to store shelves. Yeah, skyrocketing. And it's not getting better. And if we see the price of oil go up, which it's being predicted it will, Gas Buddy's predicting that by March you're going to see an average of $4 a gallon in the country. That's not going to be good for food. Joe Biden will blame the increase on big candy or big beef or big chicken when it's really on the price of oil because you have to get it to the market, Joe. They just don't understand. Two other topics I want to make sure we get to today. Joe Rogan and uh, the Second Amendment. And taxing guns, because I'm very nervous about the idea that we need to tax guns and put uh, an insurance requirement on anyone who owns a gun, because it's now being tested in California. But let's get to Rogan. Rogan has, uh, has been a guy who hasn't caught a lot of my time listening, because he does a three-hour podcast. I try and do a half hour. He does a three-hour podcast that rambles. And they cover a lot of ground, and every now and then they break news. But Joe Rogan's a guy who asks questions, not afraid to ask a question outside of the talking points. And so when he talks to people about the vaccines, about the ineffectiveness of the vaccines, he gets labeled a conspiracy theorist. And people like Neil Young and Joni Mitchell and others want him taken off any media outlet. So Spotify offers him $100 million dollars. He becomes the biggest podcast in the country, if not the world. And then you have these radicals, former radicals, who are now more on the lines of a fascist than anything else, like Neil Young and Joni Mitchell, who say, well, if, if he's going to be on the channel, you can't have my stuff. I'm taking my music and I'm going somewhere else. Spotify has responded by saying they're going to put warnings advisories on the content of Joe Rogan's. That's fine. Big deal. You can't swing a cat without seeing a product or a movie or anything without an advisory on it. You know, from the pack of cigarettes you or your friends might purchase to um, fatty foods to a movie with curse words in it. There are warnings everywhere. Big deal. That's okay. I don't have a problem with that. And apparently, neither just Joe Rogan. He talked about uh, what Spotify's up to after they came down with this this weekend. He came out with this Sunday night. 
I think there's a lot of people that have a distorted perception of what I do, maybe based on sound bites or based on headlines of articles that are disparaging. Um, the podcast has been accused of spreading dangerous misinformation. And Rogan brings up a really interesting point right there. I'll stop him there for a second. He brings up a point that uh, a lot of people have an opinion of him based on one soundbite, one headline. They haven't spent the time. I've tried to get through the three-hour podcast. It's tough. But that's what you have to do. You can't form an opinion without actually experiencing the thing which you are about to opine upon. Rogan had more to say on the Spotify response and what the podcast is all about. The problem I have with the term misinformation, especially today, is that many of the things that we thought of as misinformation just a short while ago are now accepted as fact. Do I get things wrong? Absolutely, I get things wrong, but I try to correct them. Whenever I get something wrong, I try to correct it because I'm interested in telling the truth. I'm interested in finding out what the truth is. And I'm interested in having interesting conversations with people that have differing opinions. If I pissed you off, I'm sorry. And uh, if you enjoy the podcast, thank you. Yeah, that's what it's about. And if you don't like it, how about you just get out of it? How's about you just leave it alone and don't pay any attention to it? Why are you troubled by a podcast if you don't want to hear it? It's not causing any problems. It's not getting anyone killed. It's information with which people can do their own study, their own research, and decide whether or not they want to consider it. But no, we have these, these new Karens out there who have to tell us what we have to do and who we're allowed to listen to. That's not how this works. That's not how a free market economy works. And, you know, all you have to do is look north to Canada and see how they are treating the truckers. By the way, MSNBC, uh, Joe, Joe Scarborough over at MSNBC, calling the truckers who are only protesting peacefully a cult because he disagrees with them. Thank God for the First Amendment. Canada's trying to shut down these protests. And the Canadian Prime Minister, Trudeau, has fled to his country home. And now he's got COVID. I hope he recovers. That came out this morning, the announcement that uh, Mr. Trudeau, who was hiding from the truckers because he felt unsafe, uh, he's, he's come down with COVID. I hope he and his family are okay health-wise. I hope maybe he has a recognition of maybe bodily autonomy and freedom that these, these truckers want. I hope they bring that convoy here to America. It would be just fantastic if they would. The other story, speaking of freedom, that comes to mind is the story out of San Jose, California, where the, um, the city of San Jose is voting, and they've already voted 8-3 to three in favor of, they have to have a reading now of this, this new law, and uh, then they will enact the law that is going to charge people who own guns with the responsibility of having insurance. You have to have a uh, liability insurance policy if you're going to be a gun owner, and you also have to pay an annual fee to own a gun. I don't think this holds up in the Supreme Court. To own a gun, which is protected by the Second Amendment, should you choose to do so, you have to pay a fee. Isn't that like a poll tax? Isn't that what the Democrats are always hollering about? 
So I've brought in our friend, Wendy Patrick, uh, wendypatrickphd.com. She's an attorney. She's an author. She writes a lot on uh, psychology today, which you should follow. Uh, Wendy is someone, um, well, I respect her greatly, but I also have questions about why she lives in California. Because, you know, I just don't know if I could live in California with all the restrictions, et cetera, et cetera. So, Wendy, I'm glad you're here, my friend. Hi, Mike. I don't know where I would start with that one, although I do know that I've very much enjoyed living in sunny Southern California. That's for sure. We don't have seasons, but it could be worse. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There, there are other things about your state that trouble me, but you, you navigate oh, those waters. Oh, don't get me started on that. Don't get me started on that. I paid a sunshine tax like you would not believe. I get it. <laughs> See, that's the greatest term for it. That, that puts it in a perspective. It's a sunshine it tax. Uh, and and that's fascinating. Okay, so we'll dive into this. Wendy and I were talking about something going on in uh, California last week, and uh, this has to do with the city of San Jose, not exactly a small town, and they are about to make law the um, the responsibility of a gun owner to buy insurance and then pay an annual fee. Wendy, this troubles me as a Second Amendment supporter, and it also troubles me as someone who thinks the, uh, the rights that we have as citizens should not be taxed. Am I missing a point here on this, this new law? No, in fact, Mike, that's exactly the point that um, is actually the point of the new lawsuit that was filed the very same day. There was a firearms rights group that promptly sued the city of San Jose over the proposal you're describing. It would require many of the city gun owners to carry liability insurance for accidents and negligence that were caused by the firearms, in addition to paying a new annual fee. And as you said, you know, the the pushback to this is, wait a minute, we're going to be having to carry insurance to enjoy the exercise of a constitutional right? I mean, we don't have to do that when we go to church on Sundays. We don't have to do that when we decide who to associate with or what to say when we exercise our freedom of speech. So this is really controversial. And, you know, wouldn't you know it, one of the other distinctions, the dubious distinctions we have here on the West Coast, is California is often a state of first. Um, sometimes it's cutting edge. It serves as a model, a blueprint for other blue states. But I don't know whether that's going to be the case here, because you know what? Partisan lines, both Democrats and Republicans own guns. Yeah, that's a really good point that's lost on a lot of people, that there are many of our uh, friends in the uh, left side of the aisle who are actually hunters, gun owners for security reasons, whatever. Maybe they're target practice people. They like that skill that's required to do it. But they're going to be affected by this, too. This doesn't just go after one side of the aisle. But here, here are some of the things that uh, concern me. So this is San Jose. It's one city. And uh, the, the measure was voted on, and it was an 8-3 to three vote. So the city council then has to have some kind of reading before this becomes law. And it's anticipated it will become law. If this is allowed to stand, if the court challenges don't stop this from happening, Wendy— is this the lab that then takes it to the state level so the state would consider putting a similar restriction on all gun owners? 
You know, I would have said no if you had asked me a year ago. But remember that Governor Newsom just basically, you know, he's proposing things that seem to work in other states. Why wouldn't he propose something that seems to work in one of the cities in his own state? You know, that's what people worry about is they worry that, you know, a, a, a tax like this, a liability requirement like this is not fair because it does nothing to, to deter all of the unlawful gun ownership and possession that accounts for a significant portion of the mass shootings, not to mention ghost guns. I mean, the percentage of guns that are ghost guns that have been used, you know, these kit guns that you can make off there, they're untraceable, they don't have serial numbers. I mean, this accounts for a significant portion of, of weapons that are used in some of these shootings. So you're taxing lawful gun owners that are exercising their constitutional rights under the Second Amendment. That doesn't sit well. And I don't know whether or not, I mean, the governor can, I mean, he could propose something like this, but you wonder whether that would even make it through our own state legislature. Because you, as you mentioned, I mean, I know lots of Democrats that own guns, not just because they like to hunt, but for self-protection. They want to protect their families in the same way that Republicans do. You know, I mean, for all the talking about all the things that divide us, there's a lot that unites us. And guess what? Uh, enjoying the Second Amendment happens to be one of them. Yeah, I would hope it would. I would hope it would unite us. You know, I worked a little bit for Whoopi Goldberg and worked alongside Whoopi for over a year. And uh, Whoopi is a Second Amendment supporter and a gun owner. So it's kind of interesting that uh, the left often takes up this, this anti-gun stance when so many of them, even high-profile ones, are gun owners. Howard Stern has a, has a concealed carry permit in New York City, which is one of the rarest things to get, and it costs a lot of money to get it. And I think uh, all of this is going to be under review both locally and federally, as the Supreme Court's hearing, a very interesting Second Amendment case that we should know about in June. You know, Mike, one thing you just said that is fascinating is the requirement in San Jose won't apply to current and retired law enforcement officers or those with a license to carry concealed weapons. So Howard Stern is in the clear. You've worked with just some fascinating people, and you know a lot of very interesting facts. But isn't that an interesting sort of quirk to a law like this? Wouldn't you have loved to have been in the room when they were debating this and roundtabling the requirements that they were going to propose? Yeah, the carve-outs are always what fascinates me. When, right. when, when you have a discussion, a debate, trying to push, push through legislation, and suddenly there are carve-outs for groups like, well, we, we know we need, we have to get those former law enforcement to support this, so we're going to exclude them. Well, what makes former law enforcement no longer on the job any more, I guess, acceptable a risk than somebody else who's been a good citizen without a single criminal record? I, it just astounds me. And I don't think Especially it's. Especially in a day and age where we're actually prosecuting law enforcement officers for misusing their weapons while they're on duty much less after they've retired. I mean, what you and I are, are discussing is the lack of rationale, at least that so goes the argument um, with the lawsuit, at having this type of a liability insurance requirement and a tax in the first place. Yeah, see, I, I, I'm very nervous about this, Wendy, because if this is allowed to go through in San Jose, here in uh, Pennsylvania and Delaware, where I am, I'm sure there are, they, well, it's all Democrats really in leadership here, they will say, well, if California's doing it, we have to do this. And th that's a big problem. So I know a lot of our Second Amendment fans are in this. I want to bring up one more point about California, too. The same week 
that this law is working its way through the San Jose City Council. You have a judge saying that during the early days of the pandemic, I don't know if you remember this, the gun stores were closed. They were forced to close. And it now has been ruled as unconstitutional by a a federal judge. But, you know, I I don't know if those gun shops, which lost so much business during that time, are going to be able to recoup any of the funds because they were forcibly closed. It's uh, just another example of the contradictions here. And um, we're going to watch this one. Wendy, do you have time for one more quick question? Something maybe you can straighten me out. I don't understand it. Oh, no. Is, is it going to be a research project? You can lay it on me and I'll see how long I think it's going to take me to do the work. <laughs> I, I, I'm just wondering, you know, when a hurricane hits and suddenly a lot of people are fleeing an area and they're gassing up their cars and leaving town. A lot of times we hear stories that gas stations are raising the prices and they're being charged with price gouging. But um, in, in other situations that are not involved with something like that. We hear that prices are being raised, like, for example, in the case of a car becoming in short supply and suddenly very popular, dealerships are adding what they call, I, I guess, a uh, inventory surcharge that could be, in the case of the Ford electric pickup truck, anywhere from five to 30 or $40,000 over the sticker price on the window. How is one gouging and one just considered uh, a market um, factor? Well, remember, anytime you take advantage of somebody that's vulnerable, you hear we have these laws that go into effect and you hear them threatened every time there's a hurricane that displaces people and you have hotels saying we're going to charge, you know, 200 percent. We're going to take advantage. We're going to exploit tragedy okay you can't exploit tragedy and you can't and you'll see state attorney generals basically threatening to prosecute businesses that do this your idea and your example is a lot more subtle but there are some that believe it should be subject to the same restrictions it's a matter of not only looking at transferability in terms of you know you see something advertised online is that going to be the same product that you're going to buy on the lot but also transparency. I mean, when you have unfair marketing practices and you have something that's approaching the definition of gouging, which, by the way, is different in different states, that shouldn't be okay either. And you are seeing more people challenging this type of exploitation, whether or not it occurs during a national disaster or whether or not it occurs in, in one place in particular or whether it's just limited to cars. You know, we, I, say, I hate to say it, you know, but in law, we see this happening across industries where you have something that sure looks like gouging when it certainly doesn't seem to be tied to an emergency or even fair to any of the consumers. I knew you'd have an answer, and it would make complete sense. And, and well, there, I don't know there, whether that's an answer. Let's let's just say it's a, there are arguments on both sides of that, but it's becoming more relevant, that's for sure. Yeah, I'm a free market capitalist, and I think the market should decide but I also get what you're talking about in, in times of trouble, in times of distress, to take advantage of people's distress when they have no other options does seem to me to be um, something the government can step in on. But uh, the other, I guess, is free market capitalism. It just means I won't be buying a pickup truck with an extra $30,000 attached to the window price. <laughs> just throwing that out there, Wendy. Uh, her name is Wendy Patrick. You can find her at wendypatrick.com, but you can find her all the time on Twitter, 
which is where I suggest you go. Uh, look up Wendy Patrick. She's there on wendypatrickphd.com as well. Thank you, my friend. Thanks, Mike. Don't forget, share the podcast with your friends. Tell them to get it. We try and do it every single day, and uh, we hope to be able to continue to bring it to you, as well as I'll tell you where I'm going to be on any given week on the radio. It's Michael Pelka, Testudo, my friends. Testudo. (laughs) 